Now in education, those who have studied cognitive development, they will tell you that a child's really not ready, especially boys, until about age seven or eight to really read. So what happens is this. As little Tommy or Susie isn't quite ready to read, and so they begin to develop this stigma in their mind. They don't enjoy reading because if people don't think you're good at reading, then you're not going to enjoy it. And something is developed like a mental block. It, this picture we found reminds me of that, where a kid, a boy, just doesn't like school at all and wrongly believes that he is a bad reader. We develop these mental blocks. We, we develop these stories in our head that are really not true. Now, when I was growing up, I had a mental block for something a little bit odd. Tomatoes. I could not stand the smell of tomatoes, the sight of tomatoes. If there was any tomato residue on a sandwich where someone removed tomatoes, I would have nothing to do with it. And we remember this. We all had foods like this. I have a 15-year-old son who's working in children's ministry right now. But Luke has this huge diversion to pickles. I mean, he cannot stand them. But it's not just enough that he won't eat pickles. When he was a little bit younger, just a few years ago, if pickles were at the table, he, he wouldn't yell and protest like I did when I was young. He would just very coolly and very quietly get up from his chair and move to the other end of the table. He just has no toleration for pickles. It's like his holiness would be messed up by pickle juice. Just the other night, we, we were all regathering at the house, and Luke and I were at home, and and Beth asked if she could pick up hamburgers for us. And so I texted and said, get Luke a double cheeseburger. And we all know that because Luke's um, hate for pickles, that this man, when he gets a cheeseburger, it's meat, cheese, ketchup, and bread. Nothing more, nothing less. I've had gourmet burgers with him where that's what he's going to order. He doesn't need shrimp. He doesn't need... all. Um, um, all of the fancy um, toppings. He just wants meat, cheese, and ketchup. But, but mom forgot that. And when he picked up the hamburger, he was cool about it because he saw the pickles and it was like a mic drop. He just dropped it and said, they had pickles, and he walked off. <laughs> so as a responsible father who didn't want to waste our resources, I had to eat his double cheeseburger. <laughs> I didn't want to. It didn't fit in my calorie plan that day. But I had to be responsible and do that. Now, I have some mental blocks even to this day. Now, music is a funny thing. We all have different opinions on music. But there is one particular group who, if you told me today that they had the most amazing album ever that has just come out, better than what the Beatles did in the 1960s, better than U2's Joshua Tree, a group that that has put out this album that is going to blow everyone away. There's one particular group that if you told me that, I have a mental block and I would not believe you. There is no way I have any toleration for them ever having any good music. It's this group. Yeah, Nickelback. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Nickelback, if you're a Nickelback fan, sorry we divert. I have a mental block to these guys and don't believe they can ever produce any good music. So, we all have these. 
Now, today, I want to talk to you about a certain spiritual mental block that a lot of us have. Because I have seen this happen to some really good people. Really good people who love the church. Really good people who love the Bible. Wonderful people who love Jesus himself. But they have a mental block to the presence of God. They love scripture. They love the church. They love the idea of the gospel story. But they think the presence of God really is not for me. The title of my message is a question. The question is this. Is God's presence for me? Is God's presence for me? Because we often think that God's presence is just for certain people. The spiritual elite. The clergy. For the wonderful ladies who are part of our intercessory prayer team. Those ladies, the presence of God is for them and they connect with God for the rest of us. That's what we sometimes incorrectly believe. But I want to remind you today that God's presence is not just for some, not just for a special class, not just for the outliers. God's presence is for every single believer. And this is what I want to do this day. I just hope that everyone here, we just open our minds and hearts to the idea that God's presence is for us. Now, the deist, which many of our founding fathers were, they believed that they would use the metaphor of God as a clockmaker. God made this clock, and now he is distantly watching things happen. In modern vernacular, we may say that God was an engineer, and he created this machine. And now he's just kind of watching his creation, seeing how things turn out. Maybe there will be a future involvement, but he's not involved today. I reject that because I know that our God is active today. Our God participates today. Our God is involved in the issues of our lives, in the issues of our society and culture. Our God does get involved and wants to get involved. And his presence is not just a force we think about. Sometimes we talk about the force of love, or there's a spirit of hope here. It's more of an attitude that we personify. God's presence isn't some kind of abstract thought. God's presence is a particular personality. God has revealed his personality through scripture. Scripture that church fathers has canonized, have canonized and said, this is God's word. This is what the Holy Spirit has breathed upon. And through the scripture, we discover God has a personality. We discover that God has emotions. God, of course, is completely holy and he never sins, so he never misuses those emotions. He never misuses those personalities. But God is very distinct. He's revealed himself in a very distinct way. We don't get to create who we want God to be. We are revealed who God has always been. And that revelation, understanding who God is, what his personality is, what his nature is, and then 
his presence manifests among us. His presence is not about something in the far off, in the future, by and by, when we're away from physical matter and there's nothing physical anymore. No, God's presence is here with us right now. And this is all I want for you to do. I just want you to be open to his presence. Because I would hate for any of you who love God, who believe the gospel, to not experience God's presence until you get to heaven. That's just not what he wants. He wants you to know and feel his presence here today. No doubt that when we're in heaven and there's no sin and there's no hindrances and we're in the presence of God, we'll, we'll experience his presence in a measure that words can't describe. But the layer between earth and heaven is very thin. Heaven is among us. God's presence is among us. God's presence is with us. So I've already asked you one question. That was the title of my sermon. Now my three points today are really three questions. Last week I asked you four questions. And so as I was preparing this week, I was like, God, why are these, why are these points coming out in the form of questions? And I feel like the Lord said maybe that because we don't ask good questions, we don't get good answers. When you ask the right questions, you get to the correct truth. And tr truth is always correct. So there's no, no such thing as an incorrect truth. Truth is truth, right? So we get there. And so I want, you to, uh, I want you to journey with me through these three questions, four questions, including the title today. If you're taking notes, you can fill in this first blank. Is God's presence discernible on earth? This is what I want you to think about. First of all, you have to make that decision. Are we just on our own? Are we alone? Are we by ourselves until a future day? Or are there times when God asserts himself, or maybe more accurately, that we're aware that he's been here all along. Our faith comes through Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Jesus Christ was part of the Jewish faith, so we have sprung for Judaism. And the Jews pray daily from the Psalms, so we know that Jesus prayed the Psalms. Hundreds of years before Jesus walked this earth, the psalmist wrote these words, or more accurately sung these words in Psalms 137. This is what he said. Verse 7, I can never escape from your spirit. I want you to think about when this was. This was hundreds of years before Jesus even came. Therefore, hundreds of years before the Holy Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans... Even there, your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. So even in the days of temple worship, which we'll touch on a little bit later, there was this idea, this reality, that the Spirit of God was always with us. 
The Spirit of God is always among us. The Spirit of God is in even the most difficult circumstances. He's always with us. And then Beth read today's text. And I don't know if you caught verse 17, but John chapter 14, verse 17, these are the words of Jesus. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, and he says, He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive Him because it doesn't see Him or know Him. But you do know Him because He remains with you and will be in you. Now, while we have an outward focus We're evangelistic. We exist to know His love and to share His love. Those who are outside the faith won't always understand why Christ means so much to us. Those outside the faith won't understand why we're moved by certain songs. Why? Because the Holy Spirit. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive Him, that is the Holy Spirit, because it doesn't see Him or know Him, but you do know Him. Now look at this part, because this is the part that answers the question. Is the Spirit of God discernible on the earth? He remains with you and will be in you. So the Holy Spirit is among us and in us. So it's not really a question of whether the Holy Spirit's going to come. The question is, will we be aware that we have the Holy Spirit? Will we allow the Holy Spirit who is within us to fill us? Will we allow the Holy Spirit to move among us? We come from a faith tradition for hundreds and hundreds of years of people who have believed that God is discernible on the earth. We can find God. We can know that God is here. We can know that God is real. My 17-year-old daughter, she's um, a junior, just finishing her junior year this week, and we're thinking about college finally, and Abby has visited nine colleges. She's sitting on the front row there. Nine colleges already, and so that's probably it. We probably have one more college to visit. I'm not sure I can afford to send her to any of those colleges, but it sure is fun traveling to them, isn't it? And these poor kids, these poor high school kids, in a way, there is a lot of pressure on qualifying for certain schools. And schools are kind of, there are certain tiers established. A lot of it is based off acceptance rates. We know one school that is recruiting Abby, and we believe just so they can reject her because they have a 5% uh, 5 acceptance rate. And so it's just a silly little game that's played often. But there's all of this pressure, your GPA, your ACT, your SAT, and it's all riding on these small snapshots. So I think standardized tests are are really overrated. Can I tell you, are you curious what uh, my... SAT score was in high school? Do you want me to tell you? You'll never, ever know. (laughs) Because I tested very poorly. Tested very poorly. I talked last week about secrets to take to the grave or secrets between me and God. (laughs) That's my secret. Only God knows what my SAT score was. So I I didn't test well. But there's a lot of pressure 
on qualifying. You know, I fill out, this is a time of year that I start writing all kinds of recommendation letters for these kids. And, and this is how it is in life, right? There's certain marks that we have to qualify to get advancement in, in, in our workplace and all of life. And I suppose there's, there are healthy aspects of that. I'm not a participant, or participant trophy kind of person. I, I do believe in, in competition and so forth in just our economy and in civics. But then we take this kind of competitive mindset into the spiritual life. And this leads me to the second question that we're asking about the presence of God. Am I qualified to experience God's presence? This is a question a lot of us may wonder about. And I would say at this point, this is where we incorrectly and wrongly believe that only the special, only the elite, only the people with platforms, only the people of a certain age or experience can experience God's presence. And at one time, it was a little bit that way before Jesus came. In the old covenant, God chose one family, Abraham's family. He made them a nation we now know as the Jewish people. And of that one family, one nation, there was one tribe, the Levite tribe. And in the Old Covenant, they were the only ones qualified to be priests and to do duties in either the tabernacle or the temple. And then among that group, there may have been some other categories, but at least we know of the high priest. Had to be a Jew, had to be a Levite. And he was the only one that could enter the Holy of Holies. And even then, there was great risk to that because there was only one perfect high priest. That's Jesus Christ, our Savior. So the high priest, they would put a rope around his, his ankle so when he went into the Holy of Holies that, that the presence of God was too strong and he expired or passed out, they would be able to yank him out of there. One imperfect man for all of humanity was the old way we were qualified to experience the presence of God. But then Jesus took that and with one sacrifice and one death and one resurrection, Jesus gave access to everyone, not just the Jews, not just the Americans, not just people who live in Europe or the West. Jesus died for the entire planet. So every single person that is breathing, the nine billion people who are breathing on this planet are qualified through Jesus for the presence of God. Every single one of us can experience the presence of God. It's not for the special, the clergy. You know, we are not any better or have no rank over anyone, any other Christian. We're set apart to do something. You know what that is? We're set apart to serve. We're set apart to live sacrificially. We're not set apart because we're better or special. Every single human being has access to the presence of God through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. That's why we have this incredible message to share. 
Everyone's invited. Everyone can come. Everyone is qualified through the work of Jesus. What grace. Ephesians chapter 1, starting with verse 13, said this. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed in him. Do y'all remember this? When you, when you heard, when you believed, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. At salvation, you get the Holy Spirit. You get the power of the Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. When we come to believe in Christ and put our faith in him, God gives us his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit is assigned to us. One of the reasons spiritual things are attractive to us, that the scripture, the scripture appeals to us, one of the reasons that we, there was something within us that wanted to get up and go to church today is because we have the Holy Spirit within us. Because it sensitizes us to the things of God. Now, we all make mistakes. We all mess up. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all say things, think things, have attitudes we shouldn't. And when we're walking with the Lord, the Holy Spirit convicts us of that. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is a sign to you that you belong to God. If you weren't convicted by the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't belong to God. So, we shouldn't say, we shouldn't think, oh no, I just can't get it together. I must not be a Christian. The fact that we realize we can't get it together and we're relying on the Holy Spirit and he's working in us is a sign that he has sealed us. He is in us. There's a deposit of his spirit within us. God doesn't want us to doubt our salvation. Why do I not doubt my salvation? Because I have the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit's activity in my life, the Holy Spirit's conviction in my life, the Holy Spirit's leadership in my life is a sign that I am His. Now what we need is we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Less of us and more of Him. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we have more of His power. We have more authority in our life. We have more victory over sin. We have more manifestations of the Spirit when we're filled with the Spirit. That's a good thing to have. And God wants us to be filled with the Spirit. In 1996, I took my first trip overseas. I went to London. And I went to visit a friend I grew up with, Mark Bell. And at that time in my life, I was walking close with the Lord, but I had limited interest. My interest was sports and history. That was it. So Going over there was fun to see all the historical sites, and it gave me a love for Europe and so forth. One day, as Mark had planned our itinerary, we were in the theater district, and he said, Aaron, we're going to go see a musical today. I said, what? <laughs> I said it again. We're gonna go, we are going to see a musical today. And I just said, I said, I don't do musicals. I don't do musicals. So he said, no, no, you need to do this. Again, I said, I don't do musicals. That's not for me. He pressed me some more. He said, Aaron, you're in London. You've been here for eight days. We've seen all the stuff. You can't go to London and not go to a musical. Again, I said, I don't do musicals. So finally, he said, I'll tell you what, I'll buy half of your ticket 
if you go. I think you'll really, really enjoy this. You're a religious guy. He said, I think you'll enjoy it. And that caught my attention. Why would he think I would have a religious experience at a musical? So he said, let me, let me help buy this ticket. So we bought the ticket. And I didn't know what I was getting into, but I went to some play musical you may have heard of called Les Mis. And as I sat in that musical, it impacted my life deeply. In fact, I had a at that young age, a form, I was 19, form of pharisaical attitudes towards religion. And when the priest gave those candlesticks to Jean Valjean, man, it really, really impacted me. Is that the right character? Okay, I saw Abby shake her head no. And I thought, that's a lunch conversation. She's, how could you have named the wrong character? But when the priest gave the candlesticks to that to that character. It, it, it just did something in my soul. That was 1996. A year later, it was 1997, and I was at a lunch date with a girl I'd just met. Her name was Beth Hall. She was telling me about her life, and she said, yeah, I'm a theater major or graduate from Eastern Kentucky University. And in a very sophisticated tone of voice, I casually said, yeah, I went to see Les Mis in London. Score! I played it like I, I'd planned it all along. And as you know, you may or may not know this, but my wife, Beth, she's a, she works with a theater company, and Abby is an actress. She went to Governor's School of the Arts last year, and Lincoln is also a good little emerging actor. And then Luke stays at home and watches football with me. Thank God for Luke. <laughs> but this, this open door, the arts are a big part of our family now. But up until that moment, I was just saying, hey, not for me. No, I'm not a musical guy. Not me. Nope, nope, nope. And, and Mark pushed me to go ahead and see that. I was closed. Here's my last question for you about the presence of God. Do you have an open heart to the presence of God? Is my heart open to God's presence? Because you can shut yourself off from the presence of God, and guess what? I'll, I'll see you in heaven still, really. I mean, I'm not, I'm not questioning your salvation. You can actually live a great life because the power of Scripture is so strong that applying those principles, you'll have a better life. But His presence is a taste of heaven here on earth. His presence is here to fulfill the deepest longing of our needs. And His presence is available for everyone. Next week, I think I want to talk about a few different ways the presence of God, we can connect to the presence of God. That's what I'm feeling led to. I've started that sermon already. But I, I just, all I want to do today is I just want you to have an open heart. I don't want you to miss out. I don't want you to be like I almost was. To, hey, I'm not a musical guy. More like, I'm a word guy, I'm a church guy, but not a, not a prayer guy, not a presence of God, not, that's not me. And, 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 and whether it's a guy or girl that has that attitude, and sometimes we don't even know we have that attitude, I don't think it's malicious. Like, I don't think any of you here are like, I'm trying to cut God off. I, I think that a lot of us have fears that we've developed, phobias we've developed, that are keeping us from God's best. This is what the Lord said through the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you search for me 
with all your heart. We get what we seek. If you are seeking comfort, you'll get comfort. If you are seeking an unaffected life, like you just want to do your thing and be a good person and just, just, just enjoy life until you get to heaven, you'll get that. You'll get what you seek. But if you can just open your heart and say, I just, just want the capacity to know God's presence, not just in my head. The intellect is important. We need, God needs to redeem the intellect. But if it's only your head and not your heart and your spirit, and it's not this idea of this presence of God that transcends all circumstances, then we're just cutting off the Holy Spirit. We're just saying, we don't want all of God. We'll, we'll take Jesus, we'll take the Father, but we don't want the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not for the future. The Holy Spirit's for today and the future. The Holy Spirit's for today. I think it's Psalms 27. Psalm 27, if I put that in there. Lord, hear my voice when I call. Be gracious to me and answer me. I love verse 8. My heart says this about you. You are to seek my face. Lord, I will seek your face. I will seek your face. We get what we seek for. Whatever we look for, whatever we desire, that's what we get. The Lord's saying, open your heart, open your heart, open your heart to what he has. Don't let some man or woman steal you from the Holy Spirit of God. Just because maybe someone that has been in your life who, who may have talked about the Holy Spirit but didn't apply morality to their life or didn't apply the kindness of Jesus to their life, didn't, did not apply the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and that may have turned you off to the Holy Spirit. Don't let that person's character keep you away from the pure character of the Lord, the holiness of the Lord. Maybe you went to a church service one time where people we're, we're, just, we're talking about the presence of God and for whatever reason that day, whether it was their fault or your fault, it doesn't matter, just there wasn't a connection and now you've just said, okay, that's not for me. That's not for me. God's saying through the scripture, open your heart, open your heart. God's God, the Holy Spirit's for you. Not just for a certain type of Christian, it's for every single person. This is what Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter five, verse eight. The pure in heart are blessed for they will see God. Hey, the cynical heart, we don't see God. The negative heart doesn't see God. The hard heart doesn't feel God, right? The blinded eyes of the heart won't see God, but the pure heart, man, we're going to get to see the Lord in all this glory. Let's stand together. Let's stand together in a posture, just an attitude of prayer. We just got a few minutes left together but they're good. They're important minutes. Now, this is what I think God's trying to do right now. Um, I'm not so interested. My, my primary interest is not what happens in the next eight minutes, like something needs to happen in this service. That's what I'm not looking. I'm thinking about the next 20 years of your life. I, I'm serious about this. Think about the next 20 years, the next 30 years of your life. Have you set your heart to seek the Lord? It's not about something happening this morning. If it does, great, whatever, that's up to the Lord. I'm asking, will you be a woman? Will you be a man who seeks the Lord for decades? 
for decades. There, there's, some, there's a book I'm reading right now, and we'll talk about this concept later because it's going to come out in my preaching, I think, this summer. I was going to sit on this, but the Lord wanted me to share it in the first service. I will now again. Is there was a, a man who's in his 60s. He's been walking with the Lord in the ministry for over 40 years now. And his observation is, he said that he sees that many people, Christians, only seek the Lord for about a decade. And then they live off the momentum of that. They live off... Um, they, they don't, they're not like Daniel who sought the Lord into his 80s for decades. And, and it's true. And, you know, I want to ask me, is it true for me? Man, I, I've been close. I've been close. Because here's what happens is we start developing a vernacular. And, and we're not trying to deceive people. We're not like trying, I'm going to trick people. I'm gonna, I want everyone to think I'm spiritual so I can just do what I want to on the inside. I don't think we're that malicious. Do you know who we trick? We trick ourselves. We think, okay, we, we've, we've developed this sense of professionalism. We, we understand how the church works, how the service works. We even know kind of what Aaron's doing in the sermon. And, you know, now we, we understand the drill. We're headed towards noon. We're landing the sermon. We're landing the plane. We know what it's all about. And, and we trick ourselves because we think church is for somebody else. And we think that, um, that the momentum we had in that decade we sought the Lord is good enough. And just the Lord is just reminding us today, seek Him now. Again, I'm not talking about this service. I'm talking about the next 30 years for you. Let's set our hearts on seeking the Lord. He's, it. He's a priority. He's number one. Nothing compares to Him. Let's pray. Let's just ask the Holy Spirit to come right now. Hey, He's here. We know that.